Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and uh, I'm here with Alex Stewart. Today's episode is a, is a very exciting one for us. We were joined by Mark Molesley. Uh, Mark is the assistant coach of the under-23s at Bournemouth. Uh, and also he's the manager of Weymouth, which we spent most of the time talking about. Weymouth are a non-league club, two, about two divisions away from the Football League, is that right? Yes. Yes, okay. Uh, promoted not so long ago, and uh, currently, as Mark describes them, to be slightly overachieving in fourth or third uh, in um, in the division. Conference South. In Conference South. Um, so it's really interesting. Mark has two jobs, basically. So we talked to him about that. We talked to him a little bit about his uh, management philosophy, what he's learned from being at Bournemouth, a little bit about his life and um, the different experiences that he's had, which have um, led him being, by the sounds of it, quite a good manager, quite a good manager of people. Mm, yeah. yeah. Very, it was really, really interesting. It was really interesting. Um, so thanks to Mark for coming. Uh, before we get started, I would like to say that this episode is supported by The Athletic, uh, the best place to read about football online. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO for a seven-day free trial. See if you like it. If you do, you get 50% off an annual subscription, which works out to be about £2.50 per month, 8p a day. Uh, worthwhile. I heard someone describe it recently as having at least one great story every day that you don't find anywhere else. I mean, can't say fairer than that, can you? You can't. And if no. you could, it would be probably more than one. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there's so many things. So much. So it's, it's great. It really is. Um, and I love the app. And actually, all of their podcasts, I've been listening to more of their podcasts, um, and they're fantastic as well, particularly for club fans who want to listen to more stuff specifically about their club. So go and check them out. That is theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO, seven-day free trial, and 50% off an annual subscription. Um, that's about it, isn't it? Should we get on with it? Yeah. Welcome, Mark Molesley. Okay, uh, Mark Mosley, thanks so much for coming. Really appreciate your time. Thanks um, for having me. Alex is here also. Hi, Alex. How are you doing? I'm all right. Um, we're really excited to talk to you today. Uh, we've just introduced you as a man who has two jobs. Uh, you're the manager of Weymouth, and you're also the assistant coach of the under-23s at Bournemouth. So the first question I have for you is, how, how does that work? How do you split your time? Because that sounds like you're very busy. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite lucky that um, sort of the two help each other out a little bit, but... I'm like every other non-league manager, you know, you've yeah. got a, the, the football is the so-called add-on. Um, so it's Tuesdays and Thursdays evenings. Um, I'm fortunate that Bournemouth have let, allowed me to do the role. Um, so I miss a Saturday morning with Bournemouth where fortunately that's probably one of our quieter days where we have lads out on loan, um, yeah. obviously the first team fixture. So we don't usually have games and it's usually a quieter session out of the week. So um, at the moment, the two marry up quite well. Um, like I said, I'm indebted to Bournemouth for, for letting me do it. Um, so yeah, that's that's how, that's cool. how I, I split my time really. But yeah. being a manager, Tuesday, Thursday evening, Saturday is is the time that you're at the football club. But yeah. being a manager, I don't think you're ever not at the football club. <laughs> you know, mentally, and your phone's always on. There's always right. something. There's always a pressing issue. So mm. um, I think it's anything but part time. And I think the, the non league managers can probably um, you know sympathise with that. Yeah. So how long have you been managing at Weymouth now? Then well, I'm into my third season now at Weymouth. Right. Um, so. Our first season, we um, we did fairly well. We, we missed out in the playoffs, unfortunately. We got 
we got 97 points in our first season, which was quite a good showing. Crikey. But um, unfortunately, it wasn't enough to get promoted where I think the That's 10 insane. previous seasons it would have been. But yeah, we were yeah, yeah. up against some really, really good sides that year. And unfortunately, yeah. missed out in the playoffs. Um, but last year, managed to do one better and, and got promoted, which took us into the, the Conference South, which the club hasn't been in for over over 10 years. So, mm. um, you know, it's a, a good moment for the football club and, and ourselves. And um, yeah, so we're, we're playing in a, the National South, I think it's known as now. Right. How are you, how's the team acclimatising to that? Yeah, we're not we're not too bad. We were. Is it much of a step up in terms of quality? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think at any level, the step up is always is always quite a big step. Mm. I think you know, the more you step up, the more professional it gets, the more sharper people get, the more ruthless it gets in both boxes. Mm. Um, so it's certainly been a, a, a real good challenge, but one one we're relishing and enjoying. Um, we've had a fairly good start. We're we were sitting in third till Wednesday where unfortunately we lost I think we dropped till fourth but um, yeah we're, we're sitting in the playoffs and uh, yeah enjoying our time at the moment What are your expectations for the season come the end? I think if I said as a, as a manager from, from the outside I think we're probably overachieving a little bit but internally I I always felt that we had a good chance of um, you know having a strong impact in the league um, mm. at the moment we are but the, the, the better you get the, or the more well you do the harder it gets the more people take note the more people do their homework and um, so we've definitely got to keep working hard and keep our attitude right to, to continue to stay where we are mm. We talked about this a little bit before uh, we started recording but obviously at a club like Weymouth you don't have anywhere near the resources of mm. the biggest clubs in the UK how do you approach managing a team with limited resources like that? Is it more is there more of a focus on coaching and improving players that you have, or do you still spend a lot of time trying to bring players in? I think a mixture of the two, but for me, absolutely trying to make the best of what you've got. Um, you know, creating that environment for for players to improve, and surrounding yourself with with great people, with people of like like minded of yourself, with the same vision, the same work ethic you know, the same coaching philosophy. And I'm very fortunate at Weymouth that I've managed to assemble a very strong staff around me. And I've had to, to, to share two jobs and well, everyone's, you know, mm. working and doing that. So we have to share that load. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate with the, with the, the work ethic, the enthusiasm and, and, and obviously they're all highly skilled themselves as well. So um, I'm very fortunate that I've put a good team around me mm. and a team who just, we always have the same, motto really is just how can we be better so we're always forever looking at how we can how we can improve how we can be better and we try and create an environment as professional as we can for the players um to, to try and improve them because yeah we haven't got the budget we haven't got the budget of the teams in our league either to sort of go and pay for pay for that experience or so we're sort of relying on trying to find players who would fit into our way of thinking our way of doing things and, and trying to improve them mm. the fact that you do those two jobs mm. to me seems really interesting there's kind of an inherent benefit because you're working with an age group level team but for a premier league club obviously you're exposed to cutting edge sports science mm. you've got the best training facilities you've got all manner of stuff around you there are really experienced players there players who've been through you know academy systems and worked at the very very high levels so you can learn a lot from that at the same time then on a tuesday or a thursday night at weymouth you're kind of looking around and thinking this is not quite the same so mm -hmm. is it do, do the benefits outweigh the frustrations that you get or do you not see them as frustrations maybe you just see them as well, there's a disparity there and I'm just going to get on with it. 
there's always frustrations. I think at any level, you always, especially at Weymouth, it's just the fact, it's the time constraint. You're looking around and just thinking, oh, I wish I had these players full time every day because we've got such a great group. And I feel that we have made some big strides with them. But there's, there's ultimate frustration that you haven't got the time with them. But on the flip side, we try and everything that I'm learning at Bournemouth, everything that I've experienced in my own life in, in football and outside of football, trying to bring all of that together at Weymouth. You know, we're trying to, I think my own career, I ended up relying or really having a big respect for all the disciplinaries in, in football, you know, the sports science, the psychology, the nutrition, everything. I've had to really lean heavily on that in my own career through my own hardships and injury and different bits. So I think I've brought, I like to think that I've brought that respect for them disciplinaries to, to bring into to Weymouth Football Club. So we, we were always invest in our environment before probably paying lots of money for a player. So I'd rather have, you know, we've got some GPS tracking stuff this season, which is a big thing for, you know, we've got a good physio, a great goalkeeping coach. We've got a video analysis, you know, we've got brought a little bit of software to help with our analysis. So we try and invest in our environment all the time to be as professional as we can. So I am trying to bridge that gap from professional to part-time and we're trying to bring over all the all the uh, like I said the multidisciplinaries over as well to mm. Weymouth how, how mm. do the players respond to that I, I know we were saying before mm. the pod I, I go and watch my local non-league side Winchester City a lot and I guess they're a classic non-league side and, and you know there are a couple of players who've clearly been around the block mm. and they're very experienced but at a particular level there's a couple of lads that have been released from bigger clubs that kind of thing And but it is semi-professional and I wonder if some of the players and maybe this was an issue you had to address when you first arrived mm. at the club are thinking yeah okay this is this is good but I'm you know I'm not looking to build a professional career I'm you know I'm this is fun but I, I don't need all that extra stuff because I'm at the level that I'm at or have you found, <clears throat> excuse me, that the players are really excited by what you're able to bring because of that experience and because of what you've learned elsewhere? Yeah, that's that's a, that's a great point. That's what I was faced with. I was, I was fortunate enough at the end of Weymouth as I'd done a little bit of coaching. Um, I went um, as a part-time player. When I retired, I went and worked in the academy at Bournemouth for a year and volunteered in the twenty in the 23s. Um, and uh, I combined that with playing at Weymouth. So for a year, I got to play for the club before I managed it. So I had a look at, and then the opportunity come for me to manage it. So I had a year of actually looking around and thinking how I'd do it different. And you're completely right. There was a lot of players in and around part-time football there because part-time football suits them and they might not want that. So the first thing that we done is when we sat down, me and, me and my staff, when we took the job was to um, get young, hungry players ones which had just come out of the professional game or ones that I knew would would play the way that we wanted to do and and want to be better. You mm -hmm. know, if we haven't got a player that wants to be better at our football club, it won't, it won't, it won't work for them because the demands are really high. For a part-time football club, right. our demands are very high. You know, mm -hmm. we, um, we give the players everything we possibly can. Um, so you're completely right it wouldn't always be right for them sort of players but we've got players who have got aspirations to go back full time have got aspirations to take Weymouth up the football pyramid to try and try and maybe one day take Weymouth full time mm. you know so I think that's the way I sell it to a player look you either want to go full time yourself or you want to take this football club to a full time status so right. that's the sort of players we we attract those sort of players we want if you're, if you're, if you're looking like you just want to tread water or not you're, you're not going to be the right player for us and um <clears throat> You know, we've we've been fortunate enough that we've managed to get enough players who 
have got that hunger and that thirst to 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 want to be better all the time. It sounds like they're in the right place as well. And I, I want to come back to asking you about the environment that you've built. And you're the first coach that we've ever spoken to on the podcast as well. So I also want to ask you about how the opportunity to manage comes about and that process. But I'd like to ask you a little bit more about you as a player first and you as your life. You, you turned pro at 24. You said that you played first in the league at 27. What happened? Why did it take you so long to turn pro at 24? I'm sure. I think I was 16 at Brentford waiting on my, they're called scholars now, but your apprenticeship. And um, I think I was one of the last persons to be told. But ultimately it was, I think they asked me to come back on a non-contract basis. So it wasn't like, here's a contract, sign it, like the rest of the lads. Um, I think yeah. they took six lads and, and I was one of the ones who they wanted to see how I developed the next year. And um, I was told I wasn't big enough or strong enough at, at 16. Um which was ultimately a big disappointment. Um, yeah, how did so, that affect you at the time? It must have been crushing, right? Yeah, it was. It was definitely was. Yeah, it's um, you know I think I don't, it's it's always one of them situations. You know, you 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 dream as a kid. You know, your dreams are shattered. They're they're on the floor. And um, mm. yeah, mine was down to at the time. It was probably a long, long time ago. Now I only think it's the other day, but I'm actually getting a lot <laughs> older. But it's. Um, yeah, it was a long, long time ago. So I got told I wasn't big enough and strong enough. And I went into, there was a, a first, one of the first of its kind, like a college scheme, um, which ran alongside Hayes Football Club, who were in the conference yeah. at the time. Mm. So I think my mum was quite like the sound of this because all I wanted to do was play football. And my mum my and my dad, to be fair, the head screwed on and sort of said, well, make sure you get something to back it up. So right. I think this college scheme, you could go and do a, a sports science mm. Um, diploma and train at the college and it's affiliated to a conference football club so that was perfect so I sort of done the college and I worked my way up for a youth team got a couple of games for the reserves and then ultimately of sort of 17-18 I made my first team debut in the conference Terry right. Brown um, gave me my debut which was again in proper men's football and back right. in the conference in those days that was a, a real eye opener for what, me what age were you then? I was 17, 18 I right, think so to be told I wasn't strong enough or big enough I think I went to college and trained every day <laughs> and I, I you know you can see me now I'm probably just, just over six foot Yeah. Um, you know got myself in the gym and and made sure that I that was something I could correct I felt because I always knew I was going to be taller I was, I was obviously a late developer at 16 I was nothing of me and I was at a football club, which at the time, um, Dave Webb was the manager and it was quite a direct style and he wanted big, strong midfielders. Mm. And I was probably a little bit small and underweight, but um, I always felt I had the tenacity and the aggression. And um, fortunately I grew, I got in the gym a little bit and then I got my, I got my, got my debut at the conference. And, mm. you know, so luckily Terry Brown saw something in me, gave me my debut at a, a young age and, and signed me on as a, it was semi-professional then as well when we were in the conference. A lot of teams were professional, but we were semi-professional. So I used to work, you know, a couple of days of work and used to do a bit of coaching. Mm. Um, worked on the building site for my uncle. Uh, was a postman for a bit in right. the summer months. I think the winter, that got a bit tough. <laughs> and then... Um, Those shorts, yeah, yeah, yeah. the tenacity <laughs> yeah. there? <laughs> and then ultimately um, started doing a bit of coaching in the college and got my right. teaching diploma to teach right. in further education where... You teach a lot of children learning difficulties and, and different bits and pieces I found really rewarding and then doing that um, and playing part-time as well. So I think I think from a young age, I've always been used to working two jobs. I used to work mm. and then play part-time. And then again, Terry Brown, my come, come calling at 24 when he was all the shop manager to take me professional. And although I was enjoying my, my work at the college and, and my coaching and other bits and pieces, like the, the chance to go back professional was, was always a dream come true. So right. um, yeah, I, I took the chance to go 
to, uh, into professional football. It sounds a bit like those the mixture of things that you were doing at the time mm. maybe have kind of uh, the perfect environment for growing a, a future football manager, right? Mm. I mean, you, you learn how to teach people, you learn what the value of money is, you learn mm. how to do a job properly and how to work hard. You're already working across two different areas and you're still playing football at the same time. Mm. So it's the perfect CV for a football manager in an ideal world, right? I, I think now you say it like that, I think definitely, I think... That's what I said earlier. I think my, your life skills you take into whatever you're doing. And, and the mm. great thing about football is there's people probably outside who have made it at the top level now doing some great things in football through their life skills, through their coaching, through through the bits. And I've definitely taken everything everything I've learned in life. You know, I was, mm. I was always doing a couple of jobs. I was always ducking and diving, if you like to say. You know, I used to do a little bit of property, doing up properties on my you know, grafting and doing things like that where you have to manage mm. budgets, you have to organise people, lead people to, to get things done. So now when right. I look at that, I definitely draw on all of my life skills that, that I've had just, just as everyone else does in, the, in, mm. in their jobs. You know, you try and use any advantage you've got or any, and maybe, you know, a lot of those life skills and hardships has definitely brought me to where I am now without a shadow of a doubt. In terms of your ability to manage people, mm. how, what's your approach to that because obviously in football particularly there are kind of two popular established ways of doing it you know you seem to have the the hard man manager guys who motivate mm. people then you have the sort of quieter tacticians in reality there's it's a much broader spectrum but you personally what what is your approach to to getting the best out of someone i don't think there's any what works for you might not work for you, you right. yeah, it's, it's so individualized now and um you, you have to treat each person uniquely, really. Um, but Do you then feel like you have a good sense of what someone needs when when you when you're in that situation. Definitely, you need player? to you need to know your players. Right. You know, you need you need to know them, and um, you know, part time that that's difficult sometimes. But I'm fortunate enough that I work with a lot of my players at Bournemouth previously. Um, there's no secret that a lot of the players that didn't quite make the grade at Bournemouth they're the sort of players that I'd like at Weymouth because I know they've been taught a certain way and do do things a certain way so I always try to know my players I need I want to know their character know their attitude and then you know you need to get to know them you need to know what makes them tick and like we all know sometimes they need a kick up the bum sometimes they need an arm around the shoulder and it's yeah. I think that's the, the skills of the great managers out there it's mm. their man management skills and that's certainly something that I'm trying to grow and learn and and improve all the time but um, you know we how, go into <clears throat> sorry how do you do that while because because you're an, ultimately you're an authority figure mm. right in the same way as if you were standing in front of a classroom full of kids mm. and you want to create a bond and you want to create an understanding of one another but you also need to be able to say that was shite mm. or I'm sorry but I'm dropping you <laughs> and how how hard is it to get the bat particularly if you're as you say, with Weymouth, kind of recruiting younger players who actually have gone through a pretty difficult transition mm. of not making it professionally. And you've got maybe a natural sympathy for that because of your own experiences. How difficult is it to to tread that line between being authoritarian enough to have mm. that discipline, but not be distant, not be an asshole, understand where they're coming from? I think you've definitely got to empathise with them. I think you'll be quite strict with your with your your morals and your values and your team ethics and you've got to make sure that they, they always you know they always adhere to that. You know, you've got to be quite strict with a, a team overall framework for that team, you know, like so we have some morals and values at Weymouth which you just have to adhere to that non negotiables. Is that off to, the pitch as well? Off the pitch as right. well, yeah. So we have some certain things. Now if they're not 
adhering to them things, you can pull them up on them because it's it's black and white. But although sometimes you need to pick up the pieces and sometimes that's when it's more of an interpersonal conversation with that player. You know, you, if, if, you know, outside of the football, in the, outside of the changing room and also having good staff around you because I do, you know, as a, as a leader, you do need to be authoritative and, you, and sometimes you do need to be direct. And maybe sometimes it's a player, um, you know, a player, a leadership player who you've identified can pick up the pieces a little bit for you after you've maybe dished out that more direct approach and your other staff as well to maybe get, you know, like I said, I'm fortunate to have some good staff and sometimes it's like this, this, this lad needs a little bit more of a, a direct approach from me today. And then it might be, I have a little word of my staff and just say, listen, you have a little word of him in the week. Mm. Or, you know, you, you follow up with a phone call or go and speak to him now. And it's, it's sort of good cop, bad cop. But you need to make sure that you do. Because like you said, these a lot of the players that we've got, they've been through hardships. And I can definitely appreciate where, where, where they, what they've gone through. Because this, this game is brutal. they from you as well? Right? I mean, they presume they know about your history. Mm. They know you've been in the same mm. position before. Does that help them respect you when you're talking to them about I, their experiences? I don't know. You have to ask them. But I like, I like, to, I like <laughs> yeah. to think, I like to think so. I think I have, <laughs> yeah, I think... With the with with the latter have trod um, in their path, I like mm-hmm. to think that. And um, again, I've got to draw on all them experiences to try and to try and help them and, and deal with them in the right way. But it's about stretch and reward with players. Can you stretch them? So you got to push them. You got you got to keep raising the. You know, there should be no ceiling to to, to the boundaries. You know, you're mm-hmm. trying to push them through it. It's not. And then sometimes it's stretching them. Sometimes it's pushing them. Sometimes it's being hard with them. Mm. But then it's also supporting them with that. And it's knowing when to push them and stretch them and when to like rain off a little bit and and you know support them and that's that's the that's the balancing act when you're with the under 23s at Bournemouth mm. presumably that that relationship is different because you're the staff member who's going and picking up the pieces mm. and how easy is it to to switch from mm. one you know right I'm I'm the boss here this is my job but we're going to work out how everyone else circles mm. around and helps to being one of the guys that circles around and helps is does that is does that make it easier or does it make it harder to switch back and forth? I think it makes it easier because I think I'm sort of doing both myself. So I, I sort of you know sometimes like you said sometimes you're there to pick up the pe- not pick up the pieces but fill in the gaps or try and support someone through through stuff and then sometimes you're the one dishing it out. So I feel I'm getting a good balance of experience of doing both. And mm-hmm. as a manager, you need to do both. It is you know like one day is is the direct approach and, and another day it's the, the, the support approach. It sounds exhausting. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that in a nice, like I'm not good with people at the best yeah. of times, but I, there's a, an Julian Nagelsmann quote where he talks about social competence as mm. being such an important part of management. And you kind of realize talking to you just how much of it is this constant reading of a group of individuals so consideration right right who yeah. exist as individuals but also exist within a group dynamic mm-hmm. and how are we dealing with that and how am i then going to ask you to help me deal with that and it just this constant process of keeping mm-hmm. an eye on everything and trying to get the levels right all of the time i i think i'd go mad <laughs> <laughs> i mean that in a good way i just yeah it's do you have a pillow that you scream into at home? <laughs> I think, look, it is difficult and that's, you know, I'm probably involved with over 50 players, you know, through Bournemouth yeah. and, and Weymouth and a lot of them have agents and then different bits and pieces. So you are forever. So I like to think that, look, I'm, I'm trying to walk this path. I'm trying to make myself better and improve and looking for any angle to improve. And I'm definitely filling up my cup every day with experience. And, you know, you, you, you 
do I get a lot wrong? Probably loads wrong. I probably get it wrong a lot, but you learn as long as you keep looking to improve. You're looking for that mm. self improvement all the time, and you're open. Um, and like I said, I lean on a lot of people. I've got good staff. I'm I'm, I'm so fortunate that I'm, I've got a job at Bournemouth. You know, I'm surrounded by fantastic people. I'm learning from the best. I'm in and around the right people. Um, and then, like I said, utilizing my own life skills and my own. Um, path that I've walked where I've had to use sports scientists psychologists nutrition chiropractors I appreciate it all so mm. you you sort of draw on all of your experiences all of these people to try and you know help deal best with that player what what, what might they need um, but, but presumably also you've got all of these different influences but at the same time you're and you're learning lessons from this person that person all around but you also want to do stuff your own way. So I'm assuming that there's also a balance to be had there between carving out your own approach and your own philosophy, taking bits from here and there, but you don't want to just be a reflection of how everybody else that's around you does it. You've got to at some point say, no, no, this, this is now my approach. Mm. This is the way I do stuff. What have, have you, it's quite a personal question. Anyway. Mm. Have you made that transition yet? Do you feel that you know, like, this is my blueprint for stuff? This is how I want to do things? Or is it still partly kind of all a bit, you know... Working think, it out. Yeah. yeah. I think you never, ever <laughs> stop working it out and you never, ever stop taking bits from here, there and everywhere because ultimately, if you want to improve, you've got to be open-minded. You can't be fixed mindset. So, but... Definitely now with my experience of managing, you, you can't be a copy. You don't think you can be a copycat. You have to be, have your own, you know, your own character, your own mentality. You have to have that. Otherwise, people see through that quite quickly. They've got to know it's genuine. So, I, you know, I definitely like to think it's my own take on things. This is my way of thinking, my way of doing it. But that my way of thinking has definitely been shaped from the experiences I have. And I think that's just life. And, mm. um, you know, have I been... Um, you know, have I, at Bournemouth have they shaped me yes certainly but you know whoever whoever you respect whoever you emulate whoever you see you know everyone wherever you grow up you know when you look up whether it's your dad or your favourite footballer you know you, you take from them don't you, you know, mm. they influence you you know so I've definitely had some strong influences around me but you have to have your own character you have to have your own mentality to survive in football otherwise you just be seen through presumably as well sorry the, no, the um there are there are lessons to be learned in terms of how you don't want to do stuff. I assume that you said, and I'm not asking you to name names, <laughs> obviously, but I assume you will have encountered people both as a player and also potentially as a coach where you think, do you know what, I'm never doing that. I, I think certainly it's just so... I've talked about the positive influences around me, which you've learned so much from, but I never forget that, that, you know, the gaffer, when I sat down with him to discuss me potentially being the Weymouth manager and he gave me a few words of advice and whatnot. And I remember him saying that actually, you know, he learned a hell of a, hell of a lot through probably as a player and all, all the experiences of like how you didn't want it done. And, right. and you, you do, you know, and that's, I think as a footballer, every time you're doing it, you now think back to them experiences. And I always ask myself how, how would the player be feeling about this? Or how are they feeling now? Um, you know, would that, is that going to get the best out of them? So you, you definitely, I think that's, again, football's so transferable to just any life, any walk of life, any any job. You learn from the negative experiences to, to make sure that that doesn't happen in your environment mm. or at least possible in your environment. And then you, you learn off the positive influences which just help shape 
the way you see things. Excuse the momentary interruption into today's video, but uh, I'm delighted to be able to tell you that we are, again, supported by The Athletic, the best place to read about football online. And I can think of no better example um, to talk about than a recent piece written by Stuart James called uh, Barrosalona, the non-league team led by Rooney, influenced by Guardiola playing beautiful, ballsy football. In fact, this article was one that Tifo adapted into a video for last week, so you may have seen that. If not, go and have a watch, or better yet, get a seven-day free trial and uh, go and read it yourself. It's a really interesting piece. It's about Barrow, who are playing in the National League. Um, there's uh, an interview with um, with Ian Everett, who's the, who's the manager of Barrow, and they talk about how the team likes to play out from the back, how they are dominating the league at the moment and potentially on a course for a return to the Football League, which would be fantastic. Um, talk about a lot of the goals they've scored, one which I believe included 24 passes in the build-up. Um, it's a really interesting story to read. Um, it's nice to see some coverage of teams outside of the Football League, and I felt like it was a good one to talk about, given the content of today's conversation. So if you are listening, perhaps for the first time, as a non-league fan, interested to hear what Mark has to say, I think this uh, piece would be of real interest to you as well. Um, and you can access it by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO, there you can get a seven-day free trial and the link to this article will be in the description of this podcast. Um, if you like what you see and you enjoy what you're reading and you want to spend more time on The Athletic and its fantastic app and huge number of excellent podcasts, which incidentally are free, you can get 50% off an annual subscription by using our sign-up link, which equates to about £2.50 a month. So in comparatively, it is super affordable, particularly with um, the code, and um, it's fantastic, ad-free, uh, and produced by uh, what is probably a world-class group of football journalists and writers. Um, so that is theathletic.co.uk forward slash TIFO. Um, yeah. Thanks very much for listening and uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. I certainly did. In terms of your time uh, with Bournemouth and in terms of influences, what have you taken to Weymouth with you in terms of your, your, your approach to management? Mm. The, the attention to detail. Right. Um, the use of all the multidisciplinaries and, you know, the hard work ethic. I always like to think I was always hardworking and honest, but probably needed a little bit more structure of how I would put that hard work to good use mm -hmm. um, so it's just been one big learning curve for me there and um, I, do, I would like to think that I take the the attention to detail right. and the work ethic how would you describe how that works behind the scenes at, at Bournemouth because I'm conscious that there'll probably be some Bournemouth supporters mm. listening be interested to, to hear about that how would you describe uh, how Eddie Howe works behind the scenes um, the, the depths of the detail, the, de the depths of the preparation mm. and uh, the depths of the, the analysis as well. And also, also just giving the players everything that they can to, to be the best that they can. Mm -hmm. I mean, at Weymouth, I've, I've always sort of tried to say that we will give, the players can have no excuses. We try right. and remove any excuse for the player. And I don't know for exactly that's how the gaffer does it at, at Bournemouth completely if that's a motto of his I'm not sure but mm. if you walk around a place you can see the, the level of detail and the hard work that goes into everything you know there's mm. no stone unturned so I've definitely taken that mantra to me and, and like I said at Weymouth we, I always say to the staff give the players no excuses mm -hmm. you know whether it's 
coach time is there enough water on the coach is 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 is, is, is their socks laid out right is there like every detail like I'm probably a pain in the bum to all of my staff because <laughs> I'm so demanding whether it's mm. how the water bottles are filled up where they are at training at what sort of time what footballs are where and how they need to be moved from there. We're like a Formula One team at, mm. at Weymouth where, and again, same at Bournemouth, you know, if, you, if your preparation's clear, then, you know, them cones need to be up, moved, that goal needs to be there, them balls need to be there and it needs to be done like in record time. Mm. And it's like always trying to be better every, every day. How can right. you be better? How can that training session be better? How can we, how can we prepare better? How can we analyse better? What does that player need? And I think if you just constantly keep trying to ask yourself them questions and keep pushing yourself, then ultimately, hopefully most days, you might get a slightly better outcome of what you're trying to do. Would you say that the um, the culture at Bournemouth is more like that than at other clubs in your experience? I would have, I, you know, I, I don't know because I'm fortunate enough that I'm a, a, a club in the Premier League now. Mm-hmm. I was never a Premier League player. You know, right. I, I, um, so I wouldn't know how the other Premier Leagues you know, do their stuff. But yeah. what I would say is I think the gaffer from his first time when he took management, you know, I was very fortunate that, um, you know, I was, I was at the club in his first reign as manager. Um, we were in administration minus 17 points were at the start of the season. When, when he took over, we were bottom of the league or second from bottom. Um, couldn't sign anyone, couldn't do anything. So he had, I think he had to work with what he had there. He had to, whatever he had, had to make it better because mm-hmm. there was no, um, buying a player there was no getting extra footballs there was no, there was nothing to work with it was this is it yeah. make it better so he's again you have to ask the gaffer but he's obviously always had that um, work ethic and that attention to detail but right. he probably it was a good learning curve that whatever you've got you can make it better no matter what you know as long as you look, look at yourself and was this the season that you scored the very important goal just yeah, against uh, Dagenham and Redbridge. Yeah, that was. Yeah, How was that season? Feel? Yeah, yeah, that was a great feeling. One of one of the greatest ones in for me in my in my football career. Like I said, I didn't quite reach the, the top heights, but as in terms of an important moment, mm-hmm. um, the way the, the club was at the moment, uh, at the moment, the, the way the club was at the time. Yeah, you know, we were up against it. It was sort of us feed the world sort of scenario and uh, you know we achieved something really really great and mm-hmm. it was you know bottom of league two to the to where the club is now yeah. um, you know in, that that group there has, has had you know a small part in the history of the club and mm. probably provided the first stepping stone to, to where it is now so it was um, a great time for everyone who was involved and it was a great goal as well right all the way have you seen the goal all the way <laughs> in from the, the all the way in from the wing yeah all, I think I can't remember if you nutmeg some of it anyway it's like yeah, all yeah. along the floor into the yeah. bottom corner perfect time right at the end of the game yeah. perfect goal uh, is it, was it, is it your favourite goal I think it's my, my, my favourite goal just because of what it meant and the way it was and the, the, yeah. the funny thing about it was just to show what it was like back then we um, it was March I think late February late February it was um, you know we were adrift at the bottom we had to, we started a win yeah. and started to look like we're going to make this amazing comeback and um, because we didn't have anyone, we had to get one lad out of school, Jalen right. Stockley, who's now playing at Preston. I think he was 15, 16, doing his GCSEs at the time. Right. And Jason Tyndall, the assistant manager, come out of retirement. Wow. Um, hadn't trained or played, you know, as assistant manager. Yeah. Had to come out of retirement to sit on the bench. And Ryan Gary got injured. So the last 20 minutes, Jason Tyndall had to come on. So wow. if you're 
if you're a manager or assistant manager, coach, and you're telling the players every day how you want it done, what not, and then all of a sudden you've got to come on, you know, it's, you've got to be a brave man. And, Did uh, he live up to his own come expectations? Come on, well, it's his clearance where he says was an assist. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest hoofed clearance you could ever see, which was sailing out the stand, I think, but somehow held up in the wind and I managed to bring it down on the halfway line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on, on, on the sideline and fortunately worked my way through to goal. But um, yeah, that, that, again, that what a brave. as an assist. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's, that shows that we're in, you know, professional league footballers yeah. and bringing your management out of out of retirement after two two three years and hadn't kicked a ball you yeah. know and he's coming onto the football pitch mm-hmm. in a crucial match so it just shows where we were at the time you know a lad getting out of school just so we could feel the bench because yeah. you know that's where we were but um, there must have been a special feeling of unity at that that time as well particularly mm. if there's you're building some momentum mm. you win the game in the final minutes does, has that helped you at all in your in your managing and your coaching career recognising what happens to a group of people when there is momentum when there's positivity and everyone's united presumably as a team you can achieve much more in, in, in moments like that of, of self-belief a hundred percent you know it's when you're up against it and then you, then you see you know who you know it, bring, it galvanises you it brings it together and you can see the power of um, a group all pulling together with one aim and um, mm. if you can create that motivation in that group then you know you really are a force and we certainly we become a real big force you know we stayed up and got promoted the next season so yeah. we went from sort of bottom of the league I think from Christmas we had to show promotion form from bottom of the league to, to even stay up yeah. and I think the league started at New Year's Day when and the gaffer got uh, announced I think we probably would have been second in the league so it's quite a turnaround considering, you know, previously we were under, you know, we weren't achieving that well. So it was, it was a big turnaround and it was, it was just a shift in mentality, a shift in work ethic and a, and a group of group of players who are willing to die for each other out there. Right. Yeah. Why? I mean, so obviously Eddie Howe is, is like synonymous with Bournemouth now, mm. you know, and partly because of what he achieved in that way, partly because of what he's gone on to show that, you know, the promotion was not, to the Premier League wasn't just a kind of chancey thing and it's, you know, Bournemouth are now an established Premier League side, albeit having a tricky time at the moment. So he's kind of Mr. Bournemouth in that way. And and then you look at how Arsenal have struggled after Wenger, you look at how United mm-hmm. have struggled after Ferguson. Is there a danger that a club becomes so synonymous with a particular manager that when they do move on, that, that there's kind of there's an absence of identity at that mm. point that you're, and particularly with Bournemouth, because that journey is so unusual in that respect. Mm. And, and it was kind of born out of, of difficulty and pulling together and these sorts of things that you then get to the pinnacle and you stay there for another three, four years and then he leaves. And then it's sort of, it loses a bit of what it, what made it special. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Definitely, like you said, it's the fabric of the club. It is, it is yeah. the club, you know, and it's, it's not just the gaffer. I think that's one thing I've learned is that is his staff as well. Yeah. You know, that the mm. people he surround himself with. You know, Jason Tindall and the rest of the coaching staff, fantastic. So they great people. But in answer to your question, yeah, you certainly won't want to follow him. That is for sure. <laughs> you know, you Are you to... officially ruling yourself out? Yeah, there? No, I, would, I wouldn't like. Yeah, yeah, I don't think. You, you know, it's, it is. It would be the same as following, you know, Alex Ferguson. It was. It, it, it will be the same, you know. But mm. you know, hopefully that we haven't got to worry about that for a, for a while. Um, yeah, I hope so. But yeah, someone, you know, that 
the group of staff have, have made that football club League, League Two to the Premiership I, don't, I think people forget now because they're established Premiership clubs so everyone's psyche changes a little bit but mm. let's be honest like you know we were League Two not long ago it's been a rapid rise it's been a, a colossal story yeah um, been a bit of a blink of an eye in terms yeah, of the history of football as well that's right? football now you know the standards change you know mm-hmm. as soon as you're somewhere it's like well you know what net you know everyone just expects but um, you know at the 23s now still that football the football club's just gone such a rapid rise we're still known as a category 3 academy because how can you catch up a rapid rise like that so you know you know, like the stadium the, the um, training pitches are all plans now but mm. to, to get that sort of thing you need to get find land you need to get plans these t- things take years and years to catch up mm-hmm. so um, the longer the club's in the premiership the longer hopefully everything underneath it will start to catch up and then it yeah. can be you know hopefully a strong enough legacy left as well yeah hey will you bring it back I think it's yeah. it's, it's not you it's the yeah. microphone it's sort of slowly right. swinging this way yeah, that's great thanks man um, can I ask you about preparing for a game of football mm-hmm. I mean as I said you're the first coach we've, we've had in there in here Alex and I you know like to uh, hypothesise about how this works but in reality we're outside of it looking in we don't really know let's say you have a game coming out on Saturday mm-hmm. uh, and you've got a whole week to well I guess you don't with Weymouth you've got two training sessions in the week do you have? Two training sessions if we don't have a game on the Tuesday right. so sometimes it's only one, okay. one training session let's say for this example you have two training sessions yep. How do you prepare your players for the match of the weekend? Well, the work will go. We'll go to work straight away after the Saturday. So on on, on the Sunday, we will. My analysts would have clipped the game down for me because sometimes, because right. it's such a quick turnaround and with work and, and whatnot. Again, relying on great people around you, um, he will clip that game down to me into certain things. So chances for against set pieces for and against certain parts of our philosophy. Mm-hmm. So he's already clipped the bits down that I need. So then I can then look through and start clipping for some stuff for the players. Right. Um, again, we've used a, an online uploading uh, device so mm-hmm. the players can see the clip so I can comment and, and make some comments on it. Right. And then I can start to look at how I can plan training from looking at that. I can look to how I want to improve us from, from the Saturday. So the players are doing that at home? Well, we'll, 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 up, we'll make the clips for them to upload because yeah. again, you know, players you need to make sure everything is very short very yeah easy you want them to get the the main point you don't right. want to be dressing it you don't want to be making too much um because they won't watch it right <laughs> they've got time so you you need to make sure it's bullet point and the right. and the the main point that you want to be making so yeah so we'll analyze the game what we've just had look at areas to improve and then we'll also start looking at our game plan marva uh, marva assistant manager as well with, with the analysis we'll start we would have watched back the team that we're playing now we've got right. promoted you have to upload your your games um, now right. so we, the video evidence is getting a lot better so mm. we'll have a game which and we can watch you know a couple of games my assistant will watch a couple of games and he'll start to then work out how they play how we think they're going to play what they might do and then that will all be clipped down so we'll, it's basically gathering as much evidence as we right. can and then it's about breaking that evidence down to our scout report with the players we'll see. Mm-hmm. And again, that that video, which we will show on a Thursday night at training, will be no longer than six minutes, can't right. be no longer than that. That's um, of the opposition. Of the opposition, right. of what they might do, any particular set plays. And then from that scout report, we'll formulate our game plan a little bit deeper, but also mm-hmm. where areas where we think we can exploit or what things that we might be able to do right. to them. So really, after a game on a Saturday, it's... If you win, it's relief. Mm-hmm. If you lose, it's a long weekend. Um, 
But if you lose, then the only medicine is is to look back and find a solution to why you right. lose, and that will make me sleep at night better. <laughs> right. Um, you know, look at if we've done this, this or that, and then it just at least you've got you almost feel like you've got a cure for it, and that makes you right. sleep easier at night. And then, does that uh, mean then that if you lose a game and you look back at the video mm-hmm. and you can't quite work out what happened? That's the worst possible outcome. Yeah, that, that would that would that would make. Fortunately, at the moment, we're quite process driven the way mm-hmm. we work. So you can usually see if you know yeah. our distances weren't right there, our shuffle weren't right there, we weren't aggressive enough in our press or mm-hmm. our recovery runs. We didn't close up quick enough. There's always there's always a, there's always a reason. There's right. always a reason. Now, you know, a lot of people say, "Ah, one flew in the top corner." There's nothing you can do about that. Yeah, there's always something you can do about it. Um, so we always look. You know, always brutal with each other you know always brutal with I'm always brutal with myself and yeah. I know we always are I'm always looking to how you know you have to be to if you always want to look to improve but so so yeah we'll start doing that compiling the scout report Tuesday would be probably um, unfortunately that night we, we, we've got half an astro right and this is non-league problems is finding a training area or, or whatnot. Yeah. but the, the first thing I'd done when I was a manager was the first thing I'd done was go and sort out a training facility which was right the best it could be and we're, we're fortunate we've got a good AstroTurf and on a Tuesday sometimes you've got games and whatnot. so no. half an Astro isn't the worst thing but on a Thursday we train at 8 o'clock which is a little bit late but the trade off was we get the whole Astro to ourselves right. so the lads meet at half 7 there's a changing room next to it and then we've also got a classroom now right. behind the changing room which is Great. fantastic so that's where we do our scout report so we sit the lads in for five, five, ten minutes before we go out to training on a Thursday and you take them through it yeah it'll be a scout report and then it will be broken down to right. bite-sized chunks, as mm. short and as sharp as it can be. But the information which has gone into that before has been hours worth watching right. games, getting bits down. So if we wanted to say they, they like to look for this certain channel ball, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to show 10 channel balls. You no. want to show one channel ball. That's that's the point. That's what you need to look out, you know, yeah. and, and, and make it like that. So it will be broken down to as much as it can. They'll watch the scout report. Um, do you address specific players in situations like that so if they're playing a ball into a particular channel you know that your centre back or your, your right back is going to be there do you speak directly to them at that point and tell them it's yeah. your job to watch out for this yeah definitely it's your job to watch out for this yeah so sometimes it's individual sometimes we'll just address it as a unit right and we try and feed back to our players in different ways. We've always, again, we're constant looking to try and improve. We've managed to get our software a little bit better on the computer. Again, it's a small investment, but right. an investment worth making. Um, so now it looks a little bit more jazzy as bright lights and right. flashes and arrows. And we can... Keeps move, their attention. And we can move a player, yeah. And also, yeah. It, it, look, it's, it's very, you know, informative. But it, it, like you said, it take, grabs their attention mm-hmm. and it makes your point more yeah. more bluntly, you know, more you know, exposes your point more. So... Mm. So, yeah, so we'll do the scout report the last week. And, and we also have a, a sheet as well, which shows information, again, different colours for different bits, again, to make it as, mm. you know, attractive as we can for the player. And then we'll almost have a solution as well. But, for example, this week we played the scout report and we had them in units mm-hmm. and it would be like, right, defenders, you need to come up with our game plan of what, you know, how we're going to play out from the back. Mm-hmm. Um, how are we going to defend set plays? Goalkeeper's done all set plays as well, defending set plays. And yeah, and what, what threats they, they might, you know, so we get them to come up with the game plan. So mm-hmm. rather than us always, you know, we can't, you can't keep giving yeah. the solution. You've got to encourage them to come up with the answers as right. well because they're the ones out on the pitch. So, so they're more of an active part of it. Yeah, so always yeah. looking at different ways of how we can feed back to the players and how we can be more effective feeding back to the players. So you're just looking at different ways. But, mm. you know, the classroom's been a game changer for us, just having that 10 minutes with them. They also get that sent to their phones. Everything we do gets sent to their phones. But 
to actually go through it with them and then that that will almost be the basis for our training session on the Thursday and then we can go yeah. out and then we can go through live you know the different different drills and whatnot of what right. they, we how we're going <clears> to <throat> feel that we can impact our game plan on them but also have a little bit about what they might be doing to us as well mm. and our plans for that. that that's the balance I was going to ask you about actually because I mean certainly I, I know from my experience of watching two levels below you I mm. think it is where Winchester play there's quite a flux of players in and out of different clubs mm. and it can be quite difficult to do opposition assessment plus obviously your time is constrained massively more than a professional side would be so what's the balance between almost just saying, right, our, our game plan is X mm. and we are good at that and we've got players with the, the ability to make a difference. Therefore, we're actually not going to spend that much time adapting to the opposition because I want to spend the limited time that I have finessing and perfecting the way we do stuff. Or is it, you know, we've got a rough idea of how we want to do stuff most of the time but it's actually more helpful to react to what they're going to do and become reactive and counter-punching in that way because cause you've got to have a trade-off, right? Mm. You, because you don't get the ability to work in the same way that a Premier mm. League club does. So how do you make that assessment? What And what is the thing that you focus on more of? Is it your game or, or their game? Yeah, you're right. That's, that's, that's the trade-off and it's the time constraints, which is the frustration of a part-time you know football coach um i'm fortunate that we're like two and a half years in now and you said there's a lot of ins and outs of players our, our team's been quite consistent you know it's probably been oh, about well, i mean 20. the opposition yeah yeah, the opposition, of, yeah of course yeah. yeah but from our point of view we're quite lucky that we're working with players quite regularly now which you know which some of them been with me from you know sort of <laughs> 60 70 percent of that team's probably been with me from the start um so we're we're always just you can you can pick up quite quickly from them, but ultimately you've got to worry about yourself first and foremost. You've got to make sure your game's on, on song, you know, and you've got to have the confidence that if you perform your way, then, you know, you've got, you've got a better chance of winning the football match. But you also have to be respectful that the opposition are going to do certain things. We've gone up to a higher league now. Mm. There's a lot more evidence we can gather to, to do that. And we've created an environment now where it's hard to all of a sudden turn up and not the players would honestly be probably thinking, well, hang on, are we not taking this one serious? Mm. So you create, so the players make us better every week. There's so, expectations. Though, yeah, right? the expectation, the demands mm. we put on the players, but now the demands that they probably expect from us. Yeah. And um, we've got, it's, it's hard work to keep up the pace, it is. But like I said, surround yourself with good people. If you surround yourself with like-minded people, and where we're two and a half years in, we're rolling our model. It's just, we're looking for improvements all the time. So we're just, we're getting it to that point now where we've probably got almost a bit more of a timetable of how we do things, when we do things. Sunday's this, Monday, mm. Tom Podomo and a man, Danny Webb will, will be together Monday, you know, the unseen work that goes in. And it's all in your preparation. And it's all in your session design that on a Thursday, we will touch upon the opposition of what we might face. And even if it's for five, 10 minutes, just at the start of how, because we're in year two and a half now, we know how to, how we like to press a team that does that, a team that does that, a team that plays that, a team that plays that. So it's just a recap and reminder. So we haven't got to spend half an hour, 45 minutes on it. And if your drills are right, if your session planning's right, if you've got people 
running around making sure you're setting it up and got it yeah. going we can literally go right we're onto this drill bang 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 and then it's bang lift that up we're, we're onto this one now mm. and we do luckily due to my staff we do manage to cover and sometimes it's a walk down version and you always on a Thursday night you're literally like sweating as a coach after mm. because you've run around so much but you're thinking we've covered this we've covered that but we haven't covered that and it's mm. that is the trade off Yeah. and with a part time team it's like we haven't covered defensive set plays, but we've done them for two and a half years right. now where we roughly know about this, but we do them. But then you don't practice them and you can see the goal from them. Yeah. And it's like, we didn't, I got we off. said it, the lads know it, but we didn't, we didn't get a chance on Thursday because the trade-off was we wanted to do this, this and this. Yeah. So next week you do, you fit in your defensive set plays on a Thursday, mm. which they all, they all know anyway, but it's just, you have to keep recapping these things of yeah. footballers. And when, and it's always trading off which one and it's usually from your analysis on a Saturday something is more pressing than something else right but um, and presumably the longer you have to establish your philosophy mm. the easier it is for you to find players external to the club yeah. who you want to bring in not simply because you like the way they play football you know, they're technically capable or whatever it is but also because you know enough about them to think he's going to pick up that stuff or he's worked with a coach who does things in a very similar way to me, maybe uses the same drills, same sort of pressing system, that kind of stuff. The the longer you're more concrete about how you want stuff done, the easier it is to build the right squad for that, I'm assuming. Yeah, I think what, the, the more and more you create your team, the more you, you're more specific on what, what players you want. Um, again recruitment for Weymouth now is getting even more difficult because the lads have done so well the team's done so well um, you know and and taken the club to a, a whole new place you know and um, to now try and find that player to mm. improve you, you is, is even tougher because you're worried about unsettling the squad as well does that come into it if these players have have got Weymouth to where you are now, which as you you described as maybe a little bit overachieving in terms of your current league position, but promotion doing very well in, in the current league setup. The players have got you there. Do you worry about bringing someone else in, which upsets the apple cart? Um, no, if they were going to improve the team, then then no. But right. you, you have to worry about squad harmony and how it might off you know offset different things. You're always mm. analysing. But the problem we've got now is that the team's done so well that to get someone to improve our squad is, hard. Pro- is, right. is difficult because of our location right. and the fact that we're still part-time. So mm-hmm. to get a player to probably improve us, we're lower down the food chain for, for that player. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, 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 they're still probably commanding League Two conference clubs will want them. So we have to try right. and find usually the ones that we can shape and mould and make, and make better. And that's always been our model. You know, we've always taken something and always done our best to try and improve and make that player better because in mm. turn you make a better player that make your team better and that's uh, you know the way we look at it but um, what would be the process of, of going full time I mean at what point is it realistic hypothetically in the future for Weymouth to do that I don't understand the process or where that happens I, in I the think it always structure. comes down to finances right and probably the league that you're in like if you went into the if you know we got promoted, then that's notoriously a full-time league. There is a couple of teams in there which go part-time and right. and whatnot. But, you know, the the um, the motivation for keep getting promoted is to keep improving and keep getting better, you know, as mm. the players. You know, hopefully each league you go up, you know, more money, more opportunity, more status, more, you know, all of those things. So yeah. 
naturally that's that's the progression is that is there an appetite there from the ownership to 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 see that happen yeah definitely i would like to think so that Mm. look the the weymouth has had very very hard times when we when we took over it was languishing really has been in the southern premier league for quite a while been out of the top flight for well over a decade um had a lot of financial issues you know virtually lost its ground um you know and had rotted for want of a better word um Mm. so and also, like again, it, was, it reminded me of Bournemouth when we were in an administration and you'd not paid your debts to a lot of your local community and things, you know. Right. And, that, and that's what Wayne was like. His name was bad. No one wanted to touch it. No one wanted to like give you any credit in terms of like, you know, everything had to be paid up front. And because you'd, you know, let people down in, in right. the past, you know, in previous regimes. So, um, But where maybe someone else sees a difficult situation as a result of your experiences mm. with Bournemouth, you maybe see an opportunity? Yeah, I think definitely. Yeah, mm. I, I knew because I, I played against Weymouth when they were in the conference. I knew what a big football club it could be. I knew the potential that it had. So, um, so it was always something that I felt we could grow and take it back to where it used to be. You know, mm. that was, that was the, uh, you know, that was the, you know, the draw of the club. Um, it's exciting. Right? Yeah, it was exciting because yeah. you, you know, and I've always done that since I was younger, you know, I've always on the side, like got an old, my first house, an old dilapidated bungalow. Right. And you, you know, you've got to have a vision for something and I, I, I suppose I always take that with me. I always like to make things better. Mm, so um, I saw it as a, as a real good project, a unique project um, and, and the one we, we started with. But the first thing you needed to do is put a product on the pitch that people want to come and watch yeah, and then you've got, to, then you've got to impact your community. You, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, you've got to get people back in. You've got to get bums on seats. You've got people to believe in the football club again because really, it, it annoyed everyone. It, it let everyone down. So how's that process? We, we have to ring the hearts and minds of everyone around the around the the, the, the club and the community. And now the crowd is, you know, we, our attendances are up. I think it was averaged about four hundred when we took over, and we're averaging over a thousand now. So right. the attendances are picked up, and we're slowly getting the, the wheels turning again mm. now. Um, Something's and, happening. There's a there's a story there, right? Well, I, I, look, I, I don't know. We only concentrate, you know, in the immediate, the next game, the next game. You know, you don't really look back and you don't look sure. too far ahead for, as, a, as, as, a, as a management. But we're starting to make a, an impact, I think, down there. And um, but the the owners now and the, and the board, they've seen the bad times and they know, you know, and the clubs run very, you know, stringently with, mm-hmm. and it doesn't go beyond its means. We've never not mm-hmm. missed a payment to any player went since I've been there yeah. and it's run in the right way. We run by our means. Right. What we what we make is what we're allowed to spend. We don't go over and above or, right. you know, because the club can never afford to get in a position it was before. So, mm. you know, managing the budget is, is, a, is a big part of it. You, you give a very, and I, again, I don't mean this in a bad way, but a very political answer of, <laughs> you know, we focus on each game as it comes mm. and so on. Surely you get excited I mean, you must, there, there must be a, th- I mean, you think back to, th- there will have been a point, for example, with Eddie Howe when he started managing at Bournemouth and you avoid the relegation. You get, There must have been a point at which he thought, hang on, there's... He goes home, he sits on the toilet and he goes, oh, shit, it's happening. It's happening. Right, then, then, there's something here now. And you, because I, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of taking each game as it comes, but also... You can't simply do that because then there isn't a vision, there isn't an ambition for the club as a whole. So do you kind of leave that, that, that's the chairman's business. My vision is to get the team as good as possible and I can break that up into week by week segments Mm. because that's what the process of improvement on the football pitch is. 
Or is there part of you that's going, okay, I've got that, but actually, you know, I want to be preparing this game, but I want to be doing it in the conference. I want to be doing it in League Two. I want. Or is that the vision because you need to keep a hold on your emotions as well? You don't want to get too carried away, exactly right? Exactly that. You, right. You've got to have them goals and ambitions. Don't get me right. wrong, we've got to dream. You've got to dare to dream, you know, mm. otherwise you, you always put a ceiling on yourselves and uh, you, you never want to put a boundary on anything. You, can, you know, you can achieve if you put the work and do the right things, but as a manager, you cannot afford to get carried away. You cannot afford right. that dream to... You know, but you've you've got to worry about the here and now because to get to get there you have to, and that's part of the discipline of a, of a manager. Or what I've had to put on myself is that mm. you don't get carried. Let everyone else get carried away. Let everyone else. If you're the leader, it's your job to make sure that everyone is performing how they need to perform for you to get to your goal. And if right. you if you if you if you take your eye off the ball for a second, you know, if we if we, if we don't prepare our training session on a Tuesday or Thursday with the same, um, you know work ethic with the same goals of trying to make it better than last week's training session mm. then you're you're not you're not you're not better than last week you're standing still yeah so you've got a constant look to improve you've got and, and then how how you improved is a million and one ways and it could just be from you know we've got a bag of footballs you know 20 are good 20 are terrible right you know you've got um you got to make sure that how do we get the we need 40 footballs to make this drill work. How do we make sure the best footballs keep getting recirculated around? Right. It might be something as simple as that. Yeah. Of like, because then the players are playing with the match ball and they're finishing and passing with the match ball. But once they run out, how do we get them balls back up to the top to start that drill? So it yeah. could be, I'm just using a silly example. It could be anything like that. But, you know, as soon as you stop looking to improve or get carried away, then you're, you'll, you'll take your eye off the prize. If you like beer... Do you like free beer? Yes. Yes, you probably will like free beer if you like beer. Hey, you guessed it. Free beer. Yeah, you guessed it because I already said it. That's right. This is confusing, isn't it? Are you confused? You should be because I haven't made this clear. But thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious and painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash TIFO and cover just the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of TIFO, you'll get two extra free beers. Two, eight, ten. That means you'll have ten. That's ten in total. Ten free beers. Beer 52 traversed the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries planet Earth has to offer. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave at any time. The power is in your hands. So, go to beer52.com, that's beer and then the numbers 52.com forward slash TIFO to get your case free. And don't forget that TIFO listeners get two extra free beers. The terms and conditions are that there's only one per household, it's new customers only, and it's part of a monthly subscription with no minimum commitment. If you choose to stay, you will be delivered 10 craft beers and ferment magazine and a snack with free delivery for £29. But you can cancel before that should you wish to. Thank you for listening and uh, hope you're enjoying today's episode. Hey, Beer52, thanks guys. Um, you've got to head off shortly, so I'm just going to one more question. Mm. Um, 
what's the future for you, Mark? What do you, where do you want to go? I mean, obviously you're happy with Weymouth and you're enjoying the challenge, but we're looking 10, 20 years ahead. What do you want to, where do you want to be? Champions League winning manager, presumably, wow, but again, that's with uh, Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, look, it's a great question. And, um, only in football, it's a, it's a brutal game. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot more lows and highs. Um, you know, I've learned through football, but as long as you keep trying to better yourself and be better and, you know, build your CV, build your profile, you've got to try and be fireproof in football, you know, because mm -hmm. it's short-lived, you know, everything is short-lived in football. So you've got to make sure that you've got a CV strong enough to survive and be employable. So at the moment, I'm so fortunate that I've had, I'm having a great education at Bournemouth. I'm standing on my own for two feet at Weymouth. So I'm getting loads of experience. I've got to continue just to keep learning and growing and, and, and see, where, see where it takes me. I don't think... Mm -hmm. You, have a, who, you know who knows what the future holds but as long as you're in control of it and you're and you're doing everything you can to be the best you can and mm -hmm. ultimately hopefully it's you know I can stay in football Will you come back here in a couple of years and so we can see what you're up to? Absolutely yeah I really enjoyed being here Mark Wellesley thanks so much man really appreciate it no, Thanks for having me Thank you